Guys, we are truly so blessed. We get to worship with one of the most amazing worship teams ever. I love getting to be in this room with them. I absolutely deserves an applause. And also, I want to say thank you uh, to our lead pastor, Brandon Bowers. As he, as he let me know that I would be preaching on this Sunday, uh, which is outside the structure of a normal series that we do, uh, just get to pick my own topic. You know, no pressure. No pressure at all. But what I love about Pastor Brandon is his heart. He desires that each one of us are positioning ourselves to hear from the Lord. And so I did that as I was preparing for this message. I was uh, listening and reading and studying and praying. And God, what do you want me to say? And I asked, I said, whatever it is, I want to make sure it's preaching to me first before I preach it to them. And so... God and all of his amazing goodness, he just hit me, hit me with the one thing I struggle with the most, and we're going to talk about that today, but what I want you to hear me say is if I get riled up, and it sounds like I'm talking directly to you and the things you need to do, I'm in that with you, because it preached to me first. So, who in the room, I want you to raise your hand, who in the room is left-handed? Oh yes, my left-handed brothers and sisters, look, here's the reality, The world is not set up to accommodate you, okay? Here's the other reality. (laughs) Right-handed people could care less about the struggles you face. They don't care. They don't care. I'm going to talk about right now. They're still not going to care. I'm going to lose more than uh, the room right now. But you left-handed people, you're going to hear. You go to school, right? And in school, you get this little list of things that you have to get um, that your teacher requires, And one of those sometimes is a three-ring binder. Nobody cares that a left-handed person, when trying to write, has these obstacles here. So either either I'm going to twist and conform my arms to fit around this, or I get in the middle of the page, I have to start doing like this number. It's so frustrating. So even as a kid, I've always been a problem solver. Multiple times, almost every year, I would go up to the teacher and be like, okay, teacher, I got the equipment, the things that you asked me to use in class, so I'm here with my three-ring binder. My ask is, is can I do all my assignments on the other side of the page so like a normal person I can write instead of having these obstacles here? Every time I got met with a note. I guess teachers then that I had didn't want problem-solving abilities. But in class... In class, when you hear this, it's a left-hander just trying their best to save their arm, right? But then the teachers, the teachers that ask for this, you're next level mean. I'm going to be honest with you. This looks like something to write on, but for a left-handed person, a spiral bound is actually a torture device because (laughs) teachers keep putting more and more stuff for you to write. That means your arm is on these tiny little wires more and more and more. It hurts. But I kept telling all my teachers, you know, these are garbage. Let's just get them out of the way. Nobody wants this stuff. I kept telling my teachers, I'm trying my best to be a good student. I'm trying my best to to be good in class, to learn, but I can't do well under these conditions you're giving me what you're asking me to do. There's obstacles in my way, right? So when I was thinking about today's message, And I was thinking, well, what about the things that are obstacles in our way, but that we do have the ability to control? What about those things, right? Like, it could be a multitude of things. 
We're going to look at that today, but I, I don't want to look at that without diving into Scripture to see what examples did God give for us to know how to align our priorities, right? So we're going to dive in, and as we're diving in, you think about that paper. You think about there's margins on the paper, and there's lines on the paper, but a lot of times, even in that class, when, when I'd be trying my best to follow what the teacher was asking me, the, the reason I would have difficulty is because there wasn't margin and there wasn't enough room in the margin to fit my hand and my arm, but that fits in my adulthood life as well. I, I won't allow margin for what I consider a priority. So I decided today that I would title today's message, Margin for Priorities. Margin for Priorities. So let's see what God's Word has to say. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 10 today, and I'm going to pick up, I'm going to pick up here in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. When I start at that very section, the biggest hurdle that I see that I face in my life, hands down, is that I have this people-pleasing personality. Now, you, you may be in the room and you may not be facing a people-pleasing personality, but we very much live in a culture and a society that cares a lot about what other people think about us. So, in reality, we all kind of face to some degree this people-pleasing personality. When I, when I look at this and I'm thinking, love your neighbor as yourself, one of the biggest things that, that I see that I, that I, I, it's a realization. Like, if I'm not loving myself well, but I'm supposed to extend that love to other people, <laughs> I think about my neighbor, whoever that person may be, looking in on my life. They may be in the position of like, honestly, I'd rather you not bring whatever you're calling love into my life, right? Like, Whatever that is, don't bring it my way. So first I got to address how well I love myself. It's got to be one of my biggest priorities. And then when I look at that, both, both here in verse 27 and also Matthew 22, we get the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think sometimes I allow myself to be in this position where I'll, I'll take the command to love and I'll actually allow it to be a disease to please and easily turn the command to love into a disease to please. But we're going to work on that today. We're going to look at some action items that we can put in place to work on that today. When I think about loving your neighbor, and I think about the only way we can effectively do that is by first looking at how we can take care of ourselves. I was thinking about this holiday weekend. There's going to be a lot of people heading out to the beach. You go to any of the county parks on the beach, there's going to be lifeguards there. And now both my parents were lifeguards. So growing up, I heard a lot of lifeguard stories. One of the things that always fascinated me was in their training, a lifeguard obviously is there to help other people. But sometimes when you're meeting somebody in such a desperate place, in a place of desperation, for instance, drowning in the middle of the ocean, 
that person is in such a state of desperation that in turn they will pull whoever's trying to help them down into that desperation with them. So lifeguards are taught all these moves to subdue you if you're in trouble so that they can actually effectively rescue you. Man, does that not fit for how we align our lives. In order to help other people, we have to first be able to help ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. So let's jump back in the scripture. We're going to keep going. We're going to pick up here in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, talking about the teacher of the law. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In this example, we have three different people, two of which clearly said no to the situation at hand, one of which said yes. Automatically, when I'm looking at this verse, I'm learning that in order to follow in the good example of Jesus, I have to first check my yes. Check your yes. Okay? Here's one of the things that I realized on studying check your yes. What do we say yes to? So I did a little social study, unofficial, uh, a little social study on, on my Instagram and my stories, and I asked two different questions. Now, I've been down some streets I probably never should have been down, but never in any of my experiences did I ever see someone in this scenario that was beaten, stripped naked, and left for dead. Maybe you have. Maybe you've been down some worse streets than I have. But what I more commonly see that I can relate to this story is I see two different scenarios here. I see either someone on the side of the road that's in need that is begging for help, or I see someone on the side of the road who maybe has vehicle trouble or maybe something blew off their vehicle, whatever that looks like. You know the scenarios that you see on the side of the road. So I was asking in my stories, what are excuses that we give ourselves for not stopping to help? So the first one that I asked and I want to help us work through right now is helping others who are in a place of need begging for money, right? Or begging for food. What, what are the excuses that we will tell ourselves to not stop and help? And the number one answer was, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. So I was processing that and thinking, well, how can we collectively learn from that if I don't trust them? And the biggest thing that we can take and plant in our heart is it's not our place to judge them. It's not our place to judge them. I know one of the lies I'll allow myself to believe is that I'm actually helping them by not helping them. Because if I'm to give them a dollar, to give them $10, whatever the amount may be, 
And I know in my mind, all you're going to do is go spend that on drugs and alcohol. So in turn, I'm helping you out. That is not my place. It's not my place to even care if that's what that person chooses to do with that. God has positioned me to be a vehicle to extend grace and love to that person where they're at. God, I have to trust that God is going to provide the healing and the restoration and whatever else that person needs in their life, but it is not my place to judge. In Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2, it even talks about sometimes these people we see may in turn be angels put in our midst here to see how we're going to respond to different scenarios. It certainly helps me think about the importance of what is around me and what I think about people that are around me. The second thing, a scenario where someone may be on the side of the road with a flat tire. Why do we believe a lie or what is the most common excuse we'll give ourselves for not stopping and helping those persons, those people? So I asked, and the number one answer I got is I don't have time. I don't have time. Flying down the road yourself, don't have time to stop and help somebody else, right? And I realized, like, in my life, I fit this so much. The unfortunate reality that I'm always battling in my life is I move from one urgent need to the next. My whole calendar, one urgent need to the next urgent need, one urgent need to the next urgent need. And it's overwhelming, causes stress, anxiety, all the bad stuff move from one urgent need to the next. I have to figure out a way to combat that. And in asking that, I'm like, why do I put myself in that position of overcommitment? I'm always saying yes to things. Always saying yes. I need to learn to be okay to say no. I say yes to any invite, to coffee, lunch. say yes to any invite to a wedding or a party. It's because of that people-pleasing nature and that actual disease to please that I say yes because I'm scared of what it might mean if I say no. When in reality, when in reality, when I look at Scripture, I see that Jesus, Jesus knew how to say no. Jesus, especially in Mark 1, where you pick up the story in Mark 1, where, where Jesus is, is off in a place praying, talking to his Father, but the disciples run up to him and they're like, hey, what are you doing? They're, the people need you. And Jesus, in reply, tells them, actually, we're, we're going to go to another town because more people need to hear what I have to say. More people need to know who I am. And in that, I see that Jesus didn't meet every need. There were still people, when Jesus was around, that did not get healed of their physical ailments. There were still people around that needed help, but Jesus was not there at that time to physically help them. Jesus didn't meet every need. He knew what he had said yes to. Jesus knew when he checked his yes that he was here to seek and save the lost. And he couldn't be tied up into one city forever. So Jesus was okay saying no. Therefore, I have to learn to be okay saying no. I have to learn how to say no and align what's important to me on my calendar. When I think about that, I think I've learned pretty well. I still struggle with it. I was tested already uh, right after the first service. I think I've learned pretty well. When I'm initially asked to be a part of anything, the way that I'm training myself is to thank the person for the invite because it truly does mean a lot to me that you want me to be a part of whatever you've got going on or be a part of your day. It does mean a lot to me, so I thank for the invite. But the second thing I do is I ask for time to check my calendar. 
So instead of giving an answer immediately, I've learned to ask for time to check my calendar. Not only because I may have committed to someone else for the same time you're asking, but my calendar involves more people than just me at this point. My calendar also involves my wife. My calendar also involves my kids. And so I need time to check with them to make sure that our calendars are not double booking amongst themselves. So I might say yes to you right now, but my wife might have said yes to somebody else in the exact same time to something else scheduled for the exact same time, and now we're in trouble. So I've learned to just pause, take a second, check my calendar. So I thank for the invite, and I check my calendar to see if I can accommodate the ask. Learning how to manage my time. So maybe... Maybe managing your time's not the problem. Maybe we just don't really know what is a priority. Remember the title, manage or margin for priorities. Maybe we don't really know what the priorities are. So how do we know what to say yes to? Well, we're going to look at that too. Let's keep going in the scripture. Pick up here in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, And it will not be taken away from her. Here's the thing. We're talking about priorities in our lives. We've got to give what's valuable to us a voice. We've got to give what's valuable a voice. We have to not only define it, but we have to declare it. Define it and declare it. So, you're thinking about the things that are facing you in your life. For instance, uh, let's look at personal hygiene. If I'm going to stand here and I say, hey, personal hygiene is important, but I allow my calendar to get too busy where I don't even feel like I have time to wash my hands, then if I forget that, what ends up happening is I'm standing in line at CVS buying Airborne because I didn't put an importance on what I said was important. Now I'm dealing with what's urgent, needing Airborne to prevent the sickness that I feel coming on. Or let's say your vehicle. Let's say I say vehicle maintenance because I use my vehicle so much. Vehicle maintenance is very important to me. But I've been looking at that tire with less and less and less tread, trying to extend it, maybe pump it up a few times, hoping a little extra air pressure might get me by. But if I'm ignoring what I'm saying is important, then I end up combating what is now urgent when I'm stranded on the side of I-26. How about Martha here? Maybe keeping an orderly and tidy home, she says, is important. But when she neglects what she's saying is important, when Jesus does a drop-in visit, now the situation of her house has become very urgent. So we can help deal with urgent situations. We can combat that by actually, one, defining what's important in our lives and declaring it to be important in our lives and putting some priority there in the way that we live our lives. For me, for me, the way that I do that and the way it helps me is I call it my three C's. Start with commandment, being the greatest commandment, all right? Then I move to covenant, 
being the covenant that I've made with my wife. And after that, I moved to commission. So the greatest commandment, covenant with my wife, and then commission. Those come straight from Scripture. And to me, it helps me frame what am I going to give my yes to in my life. And the way that I filter that is I say, these things in order, there are elements of that that only I can do. The things that only I can do should get the priority of my yes. For instance, greatest commandment, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Okay? Nobody else in this room can do that for me. I have to be in a position where I am responsible and can take care of my own relationship with the Father. No one else can do that for me. Okay? I move from there and I go to the covenant with my wife. Nobody else can be my wife's husband. That is something God has gifted me with the ability to be. I have to be there for her. I can't expect someone else to fill a role and responsibility that God has given me to fill in her life. And stemming from that, now that God has blessed us to have children, I can only be the father to my children. Can't expect someone else to fill in gaps that I leave and being the father of my children. And then the third filter that I use is the Great Commission. I truly believe and want in the best efforts that I have to live out that God saved me for a reason. He didn't just save me so that I feel better. He didn't just save me so that I have eternity with him. I know there was a work that he wants me to fulfill. He invites me to be a part of his plan here on earth. He has saved and redeemed me for a purpose. So that purpose, when Jesus left the earth and he gave us the great commission, I start there. Now, This is where I finally start to get in the elements where I don't have to be the only one doing things. So anything below the Great Commission that hits me in my life, I can can determine, am I the only one in the position that can do this or can someone else do it better than I can, right? Because even in the Great Commission, yes, I love every one of those conversations, but not every time me doing it is the right win or the right answer. Maybe it's for me to be outside support, helping encourage somebody with how to have the conversation. Maybe it's to be outside support simply in my prayers for the situation and that God will radically transform their heart. But regardless, when I'm discovering how to give my best yes, I filter it through my three C's. Commandment, covenant, commission. Anything else in my life falls below those. I start there because it's what I see here in Scripture. There are things in that that only I can do. We're talking about declaring it. There's a lot of power in declaring what's important to you. There's a lot of power in this because not only are you inviting other people in as accountability, but it's a big step for us personally to declare what we're saying is important. I enjoy doing that because I do need, I know my own weaknesses and I do need other people within the church, people within my small group, even people within my home and my workplace. I need their help to fulfill what I'm saying is important. Because I can easily get in a place where I've lost, I've lost my own filters and my own weakness. I start to overwhelm my schedule. And in those moments, if I'm not declaring it to the people around me, I end up in a pit that is really hard to get out of. Maybe for you to declare it, maybe for you, you just need to do a sticky note, put it on your mirror so it's the first thing you see every day. 
Maybe, maybe for you, you need to use your social media platform, invite the masses of people who are following you in on that to help you be accountable. Because here's why. What we get to be a part of, what we do is far too important for us not to be running in our lane, not to be running at full speed, not to be putting our full heart into what we get to be a part of. Because I believe what we get to be a part of being a part of the hope of the world, bringing the gospel into any situation, bringing healing and salvation to those who are hurt and broken only through the name of Jesus, I know good and well that is of enough importance that I need to have my priorities straight. Because here's what happens. Here's, here's what I see happen, not only in my own life, but in lives of people in the church. This picture, this is, This is God in this example, okay? Full of abundance, everything we need. We'll spend a little time with God. God pours in, right? Spend a little more time with God. He'll pour in. Each of us. Each of these glasses are are different people. One of them's you. And so when we spend time with God, He he fills the void that only He can fill. But if, if we allow our calendar to get a little out of whack, One of those big excuses I hear about people not spending time with God is just because they don't have time. So what in turn happens, every one of us does this. What in turn happens is if I'm not getting from the source, then I start to actually hope that this person will pour a little into me, right? Well, this person, that may have felt good for a little moment to give in, but ultimately my glass is a little lower. And now maybe this other person has asked something from me and I'll give a little more there, but it's still not always coming back. Maybe it does. Maybe a little bit. Maybe I get a little bit from a little appreciation or something. But ultimately, the ask continues and continues and I'm failing to fill up from the source. This is so important that I'm connected to the source because if I don't, these others aren't going to fill it. And ultimately, I end up pouring and pouring and pouring you know, this, this can be me and this can be my wife, right? But now that I've poured out so much with removing myself from having time from the source, now I'm in a place of anger and resentment to my very own wife, right? I see it happen amongst the church as well. You, you'll ask and you'll ask and you'll ask, but it's not the ask that's the problem. That ask should also accompany with an understanding and grace that understands that, hey, If I'm putting so much on this person's calendar, maybe they're not the best one to be pouring into me right now. And if they are the only one I feel like I have, then I should, not only with my ask, I should also accompany that with making sure, the responsibility to make sure that they're connected to the source. Because if I'm in a place of desperation, just like the person who's in the place of desperation and needs the lifeguard's help, I actually want help. And if I actually want help, I want to know that the person I'm calling on can provide that help. Put it to you like this. If I'm one of the people that's drowning out in the ocean, I love my son, but he can't swim. So I'm not going to want him to come out there and try and help me. We'll both end up in the same place. You know, I think about all of this and the last of my three C's of being the Great Commission. I think one of the biggest things that breaks my heart, I told you when I started this, that this very thing, I'm not preaching at you because it's something that I deal with as well. I think one of the most frustrating things is seeing that 
that people, we will allow ourselves to believe this lie and this excuse that I can't disciple someone else through a situation because I don't know everything. Or I can't share my faith because I don't have all the answers to the questions. It is a lie, people. It is a lie. That is not what discipleship is. There was only one human who lived on this earth who had everything figured out and his name was Jesus. I'm not him. You're not him. Here's the beauty. If we will just be okay with not fully understanding all the answers that could potentially come about our God. For instance, why why would we not be okay with that? Shouldn't a God who created everything we know, shouldn't he be so great, so magnificent that there's no possible way we could fully explain him? Why why do we have a reservation with not having an answer or not being able to answer every question? So big, so great. There's no possible way I could fully explain who our God is. But here's what we can do. Nobody can take away from you what God means to you. And that is what we're invited into. That's what we get to be a part of. So if we're staying connected to the source, if our glass is being filled from the picture, the rightful picture, then we are in a position where we know we can give our best to any situation that we're moving into. We can fully pour in to whatever God has designed us to be a part of in the advancement of his kingdom. For instance, maybe, maybe for you, you're, you're coming in here and, and you've just been wrestling with this thing about, I don't feel like I'm good enough. There's no way a God could possibly love me. And maybe for you, just hearing that, that God does love you, that God is here for you, that God is so great and so good that I can't stand here and fully explain him. Maybe that was the catalyst you needed to hear to say, I just want to be a part of that. I want to know what it looks like to fill my cup from that God. Today, I pray you'll accept him in your heart. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But maybe you're in the room and you'll say, I love Awakened Church. I love being a part of this church but you haven't yet given yourself margin to be a part of what God is doing here. You fill your calendar, fill your schedule. Even right now, you might be thinking of what you need to hurry up and get to next. You're not giving yourself the margin to be a part of what God has called you and equipped you to be within our church. It's incredible to think that the creator of everything we know can use us to get to see miracles work through us into other people's lives. Those those team members we celebrated over in A-Kids, they're building up the next generation of disciple makers. They're not babysitting. They're building right now as we speak in here. They are building the next generation. We get to be a part of setting environments so that people get to encounter God for the first time. And you know what? We just talked about the Somerville launch groups. Maybe you're one of those dots that they showed on the map that's living in Somerville, but not yet allowing yourself the margin to be a part of what our God is doing through our church in the Somerville area. Get on a launch group up there. It is time to reach the community you live in. It's time to reach the people that you're seeing when you go out to eat. It's time to reach the people that you're working with. Now is the opportunity to create the margin to be a part of that. Here's what I don't want. Grab this paper again. Here's what I don't want. Because I know when I'm battling this, this is what I face the most. When I feel like my calendar's out of line, when I feel like I'm just way too busy, I know that 
Somewhere in these lines is the line that God's intended for my life. Very straight path, moving forward towards a direction. But when I'm busy, I'm stuck in the margins. I'm limited in the amount of time that I have. I don't have enough space to do the work that's been put in front of me. I'm stuck in the margins. Let's get out of the margins, church. Let's move into fullness that can only come from following the will and the design that God has for our lives. Today can be that day for you. Today can be that day for you. Will y'all bow your heads? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If today's the day that you would say you want to make the decision, you're tired of being stuck in the margins, today's the day you want to make the decision to, to give your life to Jesus, to start to fully understand the way it is that God has designed you to work within his will, I want to give you an opportunity to start that relationship. Let today be a marker in your life. Let today be the day that the catalyst of your eternity is changed. Today can be that day. If that's you in the room, I want to invite you to raise your hand when I count to three. Raise your hand if you want to start a relationship with Jesus today. One, two, three. Love it. I love it. I see you. Praise God for you. Today is that day. Now, for the rest of the room, maybe today is the day that that you're going to make that step in obedience. That today you're actually going to start being a part of what God is doing through Awakened Church. I pray that this is the entire room that raises their hands, but I want to give you an opportunity to declare it. Remember, define it and declare it. Let today be the day that you have defined it in this moment. You're going to declare it on the count of three. If you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Awaken Church, get on board. I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Amen. Let's go, church. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for what we get to be a part of. God, it humbles me to think that you can choose each and every one of us. You have chosen us to be a part of your will into the world. God, I thank you for allowing us to be a part of your incredible goodness. I pray, God, that we will not just take these words today and just think about it on a casual basis, but God, it'll be something that actually changes the way we respond within our lives. It changes the way our calendar looks. It changes the way we interact with other people. God, give us more of your heart. Let us model you into the world you've called us to live in. So God, I thank you for today and I pray it is a marker in our lives as we move forward continuing to be vessels for you and windows for you into other people's lives. God, I love you and I thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.